To start out this morning, I wanted to issue an apology. Um, last time I did a sermon, I might have spoiled a movie for some of you, and I went off a really bad assumption that um, if you didn't see it already, maybe you didn't care to watch it, but I, I, after talking with some of you, maybe there's other circumstances where you need to watch it on videotape because you're just too busy and you're just waiting for it to come out. So for that, I apologize, and I will try my best not to spoil any more movies for you. <laughs> um, I hope you had a good week. At least for me, it was a pretty good week. Um, a month ago, I went to the doctor's office, and um, as I went in, I received some bad news. They said, oh, you might have some high, high blood pressure. We might need to put you on medication. And I was like, oh, no, I don't want to be on medication. I, I want to live longer. Um, so then the doctor said, okay, in a month, take your blood test. We'll come back, um, exercise, do whatever you need to do, eat healthy. So I did that, and over, over that month, I lost 10 pounds. I don't know if you can see or tell, um, but I lost 10 pounds. And as I went into the doctor's office, I was really nervous. I was like, oh, no, what was, like, I hope there's good news. Um, so as I went in, I opened the door, and as soon as I opened the door, I saw my uncle and my auntie sitting in the corner. I was like, oh, hey, well, unexpected surprise. Um, so I talked with them, signed in, and on the list, because my auntie and uncle were there, there was Fukumoto, Fukumoto, and then I signed in as Fukumoto, and then there was another Fukumoto. So I was like, oh, man, all the Fukumotos are here. It's a family reunion. Um, but it just so happened there was another Fukumoto from Mililani that came in at the same time. So I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. So... Um, so went into the doctor's office, they took my blood pressure and um, did all those you know, things that usually happens when you go into the doctor's office. Um, and they used this machine and as they put on the machine, um, the numbers read for the stolic and I forget what it's called, but um, it was like 157 over 84 and I was like, what? That's even worse than before. How did it get worse? I was working so hard, I exercised, unbelievable. Um, so I, um, the doctor came in and he was like, oh, your weight's down, your numbers look good from the blood test. Um, and I was like, yeah, but look at the machine. And he's like, ah, oh, the machine's wrong many times. So he took my blood pressure and he's like, it's 120, don't worry about that. And I was like, so happy. I was like, oh my gosh, this is the best doctor visit I've ever had. Like, I never come out as I get older and older with good news. So I, I left the doctor's office, I was like, they were like, oh, okay, see you in a year. I was like, yeah, see you in a year. I was so excited. And that was the first time I saw my doctor genuinely smile because he gave me good news. <laughs> he was like, I saw like a human side to him. <laughs> so with that, let's start off with our good news this morning. Um, now, I love lights. If you ever talk with Michelle, she'll tell you the same thing. I love the time of Christmas because we light up. Every house is lit up for an entire month, and why can't it be like that for the entire year? I just find lights so fascinating. Blue lights, red lights, green lights, all those different type of lights. Um, and whenever we go to visit Ikea, the lighting section is my favorite part of the store. Um, I love garden lights. I love the Aurora Borealis lights. I love Christmas lights, concert lights, lightsabers, 
and even cell phones that light up. How many of you ever had a cell phone like that? I had the Nokia, and it used to light up, and whenever somebody called, the antenna would like blink. That was like such a simple phone, but I loved it. Well, we're going to continue on in our series of the I Am series, and today's topic is Jesus saying that I am the light of the world. Now, if you have your Bible, please turn to me. Turn with me. To John chapter 8, and we're going to read a passage from the text. So, John chapter 8. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by your human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, judgment... um, I pass judgment on no one, but if I do judge, my decisions are true, because I am not alone. I stand with my Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself, and my other witness is the Father who sent me. They asked him, where's your Father? You do not know me or my Father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts, near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour has not yet come. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning throughout our week, some of us with good news, some of us with bad news, some of us are weary and tired. And Lord, we ask that as your people come to seek your face and to hear from you, Lord, that you would speak to your people today, Lord, that you, your anointing and unction will fall upon your people, Lord, and that you would speak to their hearts, their minds, their souls, their beings, and give them energy and rejuvenation and hope as they hear your word. Shine your light upon us this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So Jesus starts off by saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me won't walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, light can be a metaphor for so many things. Light is always in relation to something. For example, light is a term for Life from death. Light is possibilities from hopelessness. Light drives out darkness. So there's always this relationship. Light illuminates when something is kind of fuzzy or vague. So Jesus claims that he is the light of the world. 
It is Jesus who brings life out of death. It is Jesus who drives out darkness. And this is a part of God's salvation and freedom. Now, a key word in that text that I hope you notice is the word follow. In Greek, it's pronounced akulotheo. And it has a deep meaning. It's not just one where I'll tag along and I'll follow you. But to follow Jesus is a self-commitment in a sense which it breaks all other ties. This type of commitment goes beyond family ties or your ties with your friends. It goes beyond our political parties, whether you're liberal or conservative. It goes beyond our country ties and even our ties to religion or to our faith. So the disciple, the follower, the alukuthein, does what the rabbi does. He does what Jesus does. He also cares for the things that the rabbi, that Jesus cares about. So following Jesus means we get to participate with Jesus and the salvation that he offers to us. See, following Jesus is an active term. It's not a passive term. Because following Jesus requires action, not just believing in something. It's faith with legs. Now, don't get me wrong, it's not easy to follow Jesus. In fact, the author of the Gospel of Mark believes, and his main theme in the story is is saying to us that following Jesus is very difficult. In Mark's Gospel, Jesus is on the move and the disciples are just trying to keep up and catch what Jesus is doing. They're just trying to keep up. But the question to you is, are we willing to follow Jesus? Jesus states that he's the light of the world. And the good news is that if we follow Jesus, if we choose to follow the light, we will find life. Jesus is the light. He brings those who follow him out of darkness, out of the dark places of their lives. Then the Pharisee says to him, because you are testifying about yourself, your testimony isn't valid. How can you just claim what you're claiming? See, the religious leaders had a hard time swallowing what Jesus is claiming. They're probably like, who is this guy who comes into our temple, to our workplace, and tells us he's the light of the world? We are the light of the world. We speak for God. We are the leaders of the temple. How can you make that claim? Who are you? Now, one of the great things about speaking to you is that I get to do something that my mom has done to me over and over again, many times over the years. See, she tells these stories about me, um, kind of like throwing me under the bus. Um, So many times in the classroom, I'll be working, and then these fifth graders who are in her class comes running to me and says, did you really do that? Did you really? I'm like, what are you talking about? 
did you really do that? I'm like, I'm like, what, what did she tell you this time? And she's like, well, she told us a story about when you were little, you were sitting in a crib, and then you were chewing something, going, yum. And she's like, what? She was wondering, what are you eating? So she opened my mouth and looked inside, and she thought it was like, is it jerky? What is that? And she put it out, and I was chewing on a dead gecko. Mm. And I'm like, oh, you're telling that story? And then she goes, but at least she doesn't just throw me under the bus. She throws my whole family. So she tells the story about my brother who was also in the crib. And he's going, mm, when he was young. Mm. And she looked around and was like, what is he doing? And she looked around the crib and there's these little brown BBs lying in the crib in the crib that um, somehow fell out of the diaper. <laughs> and he's doing, mm. So my mom tells all these stories about me. Um, so this is my chance to get back at her. Because it, it just runs in the family. It's just a mutual thing. Okay. Um, so wh- when I was young, we went to McDonald's. And um, we used to go to McDonald's. And my mom would only order us the cheeseburger, the hamburger, or the Happy Meal. And of course, I had to go with the Happy Meal because you get a toy with it. Um, and it's not the same toy as you get now. The toys are a lot cooler now. <laughs> but she did this because her rationale behind it was, I need to keep you humble. So you can't eat a Big Mac or a Quarter Pounder because that's going to make you big-headed. So she was... she. Um, Every time, I would just get the hamburger or a cheeseburger, and I wasn't happy about it. So when I got into college, I made my own money, and I ordered anything I wanted on the menu. I was like, give me the Quarter Pounder this time, and then give me the Big Mac, and I tried everything, McRib, whatever it is. Um, but she did, us, did that to try and keep us humble. It was a very important thing and a very important lesson to teach us. Now, it's a different thing when my mom does these workshops. Um, She's good at what she does. She's a very um, influential and terrific teacher. I mean, she received many awards, and her resume would prove it. So sometimes she gets in front of people, and she's like, well, I know this because I did, I did this workshop, and I created this curriculum, and I know um, every strategy I'm using while I'm teaching, and I'm like, oh my gosh, can your head get any bigger? This woman that said, I need to be humble. And at times, I hate it. I'm like, oh my gosh. But the thing about it is, she's not lying. She can do all those things. As overconfident as it may seem, she is able to perform. And this is kind of what Jesus is doing. He, it may seem outlandish, but it's true. Jesus then replies, Even if I testify about myself, my testimony is true since I know where I came from and where I'm going. And he goes on and they they said, Who is the father that sent you? Where is your father? So if they just looked at Jesus' teaching and the works that Jesus did, maybe they would judge that God is in what Jesus is doing. Jesus performed many healings. He engaged 
with people deemed as unclean. He embraced the foreign Samaritan woman. He fed 5,000. He showed acts of compassion and mercy. Jesus stands against the status quo, and he ministers to those who are hurting. See, Jesus was doing the work of the Father and caring about the things that the Father cares about. Yet the religious leaders are blind to who Jesus is, is and the identity of God the Father. So Jesus answers, You don't know me, and you don't know my Father. If you knew me, you would also know my Father. What a claim. Now there's this line in this movie, um, Black Panther, that I thought was really profound. And I'm not going to spoil it for you this time, I hope. Um, but there's these two characters, Okeo and Nakia. And they're having this conversation because something has happened within their nation. And Okeo says to Nakia, my heart is with you. I can't. I'm loyal to the throne, no matter who sits on it. What are you loyal to? And Nakia responds, I loved him. I love my country too. Then Okeo turns and responds and says, Then serve your country. And Nakia says, No, I saved my country. See, both these two sides love their country. And they're doing what they think is best for their country. It's kind of like the Pharisees. The Pharisees probably had a good heart and good intent on wanting to serve God. Yet many times, um, if you work on a job long enough, you probably can relate. You might know that there are some things wrong with the system. And you recognize it. But sometimes we choose not to make waves. Whether it be because of social pressure or status quo, or benefiting from a position that can tempt us to let things go or let things slide or, let, or become complacent. I think it's just because of our fallenness, our sinful nature, our brokenness, that we let these things happen. And sometimes we choose to forget or ignore or just become apathetic to the whole situation. So here comes Jesus. And Jesus comes to shine the light in the dark places. And the Pharisees didn't like it. They were trying to put Jesus on trial, but instead, Jesus turns the light on them. He basically claimed that they did not know the Father, that they lost sight of God. If these religious people, these religious leaders, can miss the point, could it be that we too can miss the point of following Jesus sometimes? You know, there's this pastor that I really admire. His name is Ken Fong. And he pastored this church at, called Evergreen Baptist Church in California, um, in Lo the Los Angeles area. Um, but he chose to resign. And before he resigned, he did this sermon series that I thought was brilliant and ingenious and, and just profound. And he entitled his series called 
the memoirs of a recovering Pharisee. He had the courage to call himself a Pharisee and recognize that there are some things that he had gotten wrong about God at times. So the question I have for all of us, including myself, is, do we know the Father? Do we know the one part of the Trinity of God? See, I believe Jesus came to give us a clearer understanding of the Father. Richard Rohr, in his book, The Divine Dance, The Trinity and Your Transformation, if you get a chance, I recommend reading this book. It's pretty, it's not a difficult book, but it's pretty profound. Um... He describes the Father as the source, the flow, the creator, the formless out of which all forms come, the unspeakable mystery. That is the Father. Now, if we're really honest with ourselves, the problem that we have as human beings is that we are uncomfortable with not knowing, with mystery with silence. Getting uncomfortable yet? It's, one of my favorite shows growing up was Scooby-Doo. I would come home um, in the afternoons and turn on the TV because we only had four channels back there. And one of them, um, hopefully at 3.30, Scooby-Doo would be on. Um, or Saturday mornings, I would wake up really early to catch Scooby-Doo. And it's a show where there's four young adults and this dog drive around in this van called the Mystery Machine. And they would, I don't know, somehow run into some kind of mystery, some kind of crime scene that has taken place. I mean, I've never driven and ran into a crime scene, but they constantly run into it. Amazing. And they, at the end of the show, they always unmask the culprit. They're like, oh, it's Mr. Jim or Mr. Simmons, you know? Um, but what if an episode of Scooby-Doo ended without them not identifying the culprit? Most of us would think that's just a horrible TV show it would not be as popular as it is today. See, some of us have an image of God, and if we're honest with ourselves, the image of God can look like a grumpy old man. Because when we as men get older, we get grumpier. All you have to do is go to a UH football game. And I remember sitting one time in the crowd and we scored a touchdown and everybody's cheering and jumping and like giving each other a high five. Yeah, we scored. And then I look on the side and there's this old Japanese man and his arms are crossed and he's like, yeah. And then after a while, he's like, sit down, sit down. So um, maybe in a couple of years, hopefully more than that, I might be that old Japanese man because I'm getting older and older because I'm Japanese. It's part of my culture. 
See, sometimes we envision God as having this white beard sitting on a throne with a lightning bolt in his hand. He doesn't seem very approachable or forgiving. See, this, with this view of God, God seems very unfree and incapable of forgiveness. And sometimes he's blind to the notion of justice. God seems to become very petty and punitive. And in order to get on his good side, you have to do something or dress a certain way or act a certain way. We fear the Father more than we love him. We can love Jesus. Jesus is great. But the Father, something else. Some people will paint a picture of Jesus standing in the way of the Father, between us and the Father, saying, no. And he's trying to defend us, saying, no. Come on. Give them a second chance. I know this is because this is how I picture God when I first became a follower of Christ. Um, I told you, some of you may have heard the story, when I was 19, I was playing basketball, and I tore my ACL. And the reason why I thought I tore my ACL was because I promised God I would read my Bible and pray, and I thought, the reason I tore my ACL was because God was angry at me. He was like, you lied to me! And then, shh, grabbed his lightning bolt, and shh, and my knee just bust. And at times when something bad happens to me, I think this way. God must have been angry with me. He's trying to get my attention. But the problem with viewing God this way is that we do violence to the character of God. Having a distorted view of God is what can make religion and even Christianity oppressive. And if we're honest, if we're really honest with ourselves, we can't really trust a God like this. That's why one of the biblical authors described God this way, and he says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Profound. The author could have chose any word. God is wrath. God is angry. God is powerful. But instead, he chose to say that God is love. That comes from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 8. So let me throw this scenario at you. Okay. Let's say someone has just had a massive heart attack and is lying in the hospital. How do you make sense of that? Now, someone might say, in order to make sense of this mystery of who God is, they might say, well, I think God brought that heart attack to get this person's attention. Maybe God did this so that God is the one that caused the heart attack. So that God could make him notice that 
God is around. Is that a God of love? Another might have a different perspective and say, maybe God was always trying to get his attention. Maybe God was saying, you need to live healthier. You need to do this. And as a result, something tragic happened because of our fallen nature, because of our brokenness, because we live in a broken world. And this tragedy happens. And God doesn't just say, I told you so, you needed to take care of yourself. But God is still pursuing, is still engaging, is still trying to get you to notice him. And maybe because of this suffering, this, this situation, our eyes are now open because we're like what, asking the right questions. Why God? Where are you? What, how, how did this happen to me? And then maybe at that point, God can finally, well, maybe the person can finally notice that God was there and is still there and is still pursuing him because God is a God of love. Jesus says, if you knew me, you would know my father. See, Jesus and God the Father are on the same team, working for the same goal, having the same desires, the same convictions, and both the Father and Jesus both empathize for those who are experiencing loss. The Father and the Son pursues those who are on the outskirts and embraces the marginalized, the poor, the needy, the foreigner, the fatherless, the widow. This is a God of love. N.T. Wright sums up this whole passage with this quote. And he says this, At the heart of Israel of his days, there was a single great problem. They had forgotten who their God really was. Their behaviors, their attitudes, their ambitions indicated that they didn't know the one Jesus called Father. And that is why they couldn't recognize him as having come for the one true God. They missed the point. See, being a follower of Christ is about progression. It's about moving forward from darkness to light, from hate to love, from our brokenness to our healing, from our self-destructive patterns and tendencies to life-giving process. From death to life. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. So my question to you this morning as we sit here and hear this news, how has your image of who God is affected your behavior? How has it affected the way you treat others? Let us pray.